Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hello, hello. Welcome or maybe welcome back. I'm Robin Goebel. You have tuned into the Parenting After Trauma podcast, a podcast for parents of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems. And together on this podcast, we take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, and we make it make sense. Like we make it make sense. We make it useful in your lives. We let it change how we see our kids and ourselves, and we let it inform ways in which we can support our kids experience more regulation, more connection, and more felt safety, because that's how we see behavior change. If you are brand new to the show and you are not so certain about that word trauma in the title, I want to invite you to just stick around, give us uh, the benefit of the doubt, stick around for just maybe even a few more minutes and see what you think. My experience as a therapist is with kids and families who have histories of complex trauma, developmental trauma, attachment trauma. So my experience is in how do traumatic experiences ongoing inside relationship attachment experiences contribute to sensitized stress response system and that vulnerability in the nervous system. And then ultimately, yes, those like baffling, like what on earth is going on kind of behaviors. And what has been so increasingly clear to me over the last many, many, many years is that there's a lot of families with kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. There's a lot of grownups with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. And maybe it doesn't feel like the word trauma totally resonates. And it all can still apply because the bottom line is whatever those experiences are, whether it be traumatic experiences or living in the world as somebody with um, some neurodivergence or a sensitive sensory system or some giftedness or a neuroimmune disorder like Lyme or PANS or PANDAS, whatever the experience is that's contributing to that vulnerable nervous system, the outcome is the same, which is we're navigating these big baffling behaviors. And so on this show, we aim to put on our x-ray vision goggles and look past those behaviors to what the kind of quote unquote real problem is. We want to stop playing behavior whack-a-mole. And we want to do that by truly seeing our kids and ourselves for who they really are, which are 
kids, humans who are precious and wonderful and overflowing with infinite worth get struggling. And we want to help folks struggle less. In addition to this podcast, I am about to bring into the world my very first book called Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, Brain, Body, Sensory Strategies That Really Work. That's happening in September. And I have so much fun and goodness in store for you between now and then as we celebrate the podcast, we celebrate the book, celebrate all these ways that we are connecting families all over the world, families like yours who are overwhelmed, confused, baffled by what is happening in their home and maybe in themselves. So I'm thrilled you're here. It's so awesome to watch this community just grow and grow and grow and grow while we come together to try to make sense of these big baffling behaviors. And I know so many of you have written in and said, even though this podcast is about parenting, you're learning about yourself. You're learning about partnering. You're learning about being a friend. You're learning about what's going on with the people just out in public or, you know, who are baffling us, right? That even though we're talking about parenting here, it all applies. And I love that you all are part of a really important movement. A question I've been watching folks ask a lot lately. And I see this question come up a lot in the club is folks will talk about some challenges that's happening in their family. And then they'll sort of end it, like summarize it with, what am I doing wrong? We've been talking about this so much in the club. And since it's something that is kind of like right at the tip of my tongue, I wanted to just bring it to all of y'all as well. Let me just be really clear. You're not doing anything wrong. Well, I mean, like no more wrong than anyone else is doing. Okay. I've probably been asked this question, like, what am I doing wrong? Approximately 5 trillion bajillion, 967,000 million, 999 times. That's not a real number, but you get it, right? I've been asked that question a lot. And frankly, I ask myself that question a lot. I ask that question in my parenting. I ask that question in my marriage. I ask that question in my like self-perceived quote unquote lack of progress in my own personal therapy. I ask that question when something kind of goes awry, which it does sometimes inside my programs, inside the club or inside being with, you know, I'm so quick to say, what am I doing wrong? And I'm getting quicker at reminding myself that that is a question from my watchdog brain. That is a question that comes from a nervous system in protection mode. It's a question that makes the assumption that if I was, quote unquote, doing it right, we wouldn't have this problem, whatever this problem is. 
my child wouldn't be acting this way. My life wouldn't have unfolded this way. My own therapeutic progress would be faster, right? Because all I have to do is just get it right. So a few things to kind of deconstruct here. And one is for me, and this is maybe not true for everyone, I don't know, but for me, I learned when I was very small how things changed when you got it right versus when you got it wrong. And frankly, I got very, very good at getting things right. I got so good at it that my very young, magical thinking brain believed then that I had like the power to make life easier, to regulate other people better and then myself, if I could just get it right. And because I was just little, the brain makes connections out of things that don't really belong to each other. And the truth is, is that I was just a little kid. I didn't have the kind of power that I thought I did by getting things right. And now I'm a grown-up who knows that I do not have that kind of power. But if I get dysregulated enough, I fall back into old, well-worn neural pathways. That's true for all of us. That the more dysregulated they get, the more stressed we are, the narrower our window of tolerance, we are much more likely to default to kind of old neural pathways, which is why changing things or healing or whatever language you want to use is super nuanced. That in addition to having new experiences and having new thoughts and and essentially forming new neural pathways, we also want to widen our window of stress tolerance because the wider our window of stress tolerance is, the more, let's just say kind of like the more choice we have in which pathway our brain is going to change, when which pathway our brain is going to go down, sorry. When our window of tolerance is very narrow, when we have a significant amount of stress happening, our brains, because they're so smart and wanting to be very energy efficient, our brains decide that the most energy efficient, the smartest thing to do is to use those very well-exercised neural pathways. So the more stressed I get, the more I'm likely to feel like it's true that if I could just get things right, other people's behavior would change or get better. Now, in last week's episode... We talked a long time about this belief that a lot of us have that we have the power to control other people's behaviors. So I'm not going to rehash all that. You can go back and check out that episode if you missed that last week. But these are 
old beliefs that we learned a long, long, long time ago. And we have very deeply embedded neural pathways of these beliefs. And so when we get stressed, we kind of go down that pathway again. And a brain in protection mode, so the watchdog or the possum pathway, a brain in protection mode believes in the dichotomy of right versus wrong. The owl brain feels okay with uncertainty. Now, sometimes we confuse the owl brain with like the smart brain who is logical and linear and knows how to do math, essentially, right? Major oversimplification. That's not a full picture of the owl brain. The owl brain is able to use like its highest cortical skills, like its most thinking brain, but the owl brain is also connected and relational and feeling safe. And when we feel safe, we feel okay with uncertainty. So the owl brain feels okay with uncertainty, whereas the watchdog or the possum believe that there is a right and a wrong. It's one or the other. The owl brain knows that the brain is taking in 11 million pieces of data per moment and using all of that data to decide, am I safe or am I not safe? And from there, behaviors of connection or protection emerge. The owl brain knows that there are only so many of those 11 million pieces of data that are possible for me to impact for someone else right? Like if how the nervous system is determining if it's safe or not, and therefore behaviors of connection or protection emerge, then when I'm thinking about someone else and their behavior, and I'm thinking about the 11 million bits of data that their brain is processing, I think it gets a little bit more clear that there's only so many of those 11 million pieces of data that I could possibly be in charge of that I could impact for someone else. It's a very small amount. I am mostly out of control of someone else's experience of felt safety. They are their own human with their own way of being in the world. The owl brain knows that my rightness or wrongness isn't what determines someone else's experience of felt safety and therefore someone else's behavior. Now, I know that this concept can feel a little, I think, kind of cloudy or fuzzy. Like here we are, 140 or something like that episodes into a podcast all about helping parents, right? I have a big community that offers education for parents. I teach professionals how to support parents. And I think it would be easy to make an assumption that that means it's because parents could do something right or could do something wrong that would then be what changes their child's behavior. 
And that's just simply not true. Remember, we have a lot of influence over someone else's experience of safety. We do not have control. And that means we have a lot of influence over the way other people are in the world, but we do not have control. And we don't have any right to try to be in control. And my owl brain is okay with that. Again, my owl brain knows that my rightness or wrongness. So again, we're thinking about that question of what am I doing wrong? The owl brain knows that it's not my rightness or wrongness. That's what's determining somebody else's safety or behavior. The watchdog brain is afraid and wants to believe it's that binary. It wants to believe it's that simple. If it's that simple, then we have so much more hope or it feels like we have so much hope that things will change because there's this implication that things are more likely to change if I can be in charge of them. It is far less vulnerable to believe that things change because I'm in charge of them. It is far more vulnerable to realize things are happening all the time that I have absolutely no control over whatsoever. Here's something though about the watchdog brain, right? The watchdog brain believes that if things are binary, things are simple, there's more control over change. What the watchdog doesn't know is that the owl feels hope too. Even when the owl wisely acknowledges it's totally out of control of someone else's behavior, there is still so much hope. Humans are complex systems. Complex systems, we're going to move a little bit out of like the mental health field or the psychology field or even the behavior field. Complex systems in the field of like math. And y'all, I'm a social worker, so that's all I'm going to say. Complex systems are always moving toward coherence. Complex systems are always wanting to move towards organization. Now, pause for a second and ask yourself the baffling behaviors in your child or in yourself or in your partner. Do those behaviors feel like the words coherence and organization match those behaviors? Even if you don't really understand what that means, like what does it mean to be coherent? Even if you don't really know what that means, just pause for a second and say, well, this behavior in my child or in myself that's feeling so baffling, is it coherent? And the answer is no. It's not. It's not coherent. It's not organized. It's not integrated. It's not flexible. It's not adaptive. All these words that I could come up with from the field of IPNB, interpersonal neurobiology, that helps us understand humans as complex systems, the kinds of behaviors that are prompting you to listen to a podcast like this aren't coherent. Okay. And we know that humans are complex systems and that complex systems are always moving towards coherence. Apparently, that's sort of like mathematical kind of constant. So how do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of these behaviors 
that are so baffling, so confusing, and also make sense of the fact that humans are complex systems that are always moving towards coherence. Let's just kind of hold that thought for a little bit. Okay, so simply because I said you probably aren't doing anything more quote-unquote wrong than anyone else, than I am, than any other parent. I mean, none of us are doing everything quote-unquote right. Like if we could have a right or a wrong binary, it would be impossible to do everything right. And we've talked before that that actually wouldn't even be good for our kids. But even if we just acknowledge that, it's not about being right or wrong. That doesn't mean that there aren't ways that we are probably contributing to our kids' struggles. And if we could shift those things a little, they might shift as well. I definitely contribute to some of the way my kids' struggles. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order, and I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe, and then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. Some of those ways that I contribute are really obvious. They're obvious to me. They're obvious to anyone who really knows me. But also a lot of the ways that I contribute to my kids' struggles are a lot less obvious right? And the ways that my own implicit world, my own implicit memory shows up. And then kind of by definition, our implicit remains outside our our conscious awareness. And so there are so many ways that I know I am not even aware of how I kind of show up in my parent-child relationship in ways that are not ideal for my kid. Parents have a lot of influence over their kids in great ways and in hard ways. I mean, research is super, super clear about that. That's why this podcast exists. I mean, if parents didn't have any influence over their kids, why would I podcast about parenting? So let's go back to that original question, right? That question of what am I doing wrong? Can we see together, take a step back from what am I doing wrong and instead ask, are there ways I could offer my child more co-regulation, more connection, or more felt safety? The very act of taking a step back, the very act of 
seeing all of our options, the very act of having a curiosity instead of a demand, right? Like, what am I doing wrong? There's urgency in there. There's demand in there. And y'all, there's no judgment in me towards asking that question. I ask that question a lot as well, okay? So there's no judgment here. It's just, we're just defining it, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of urgency, right? There's a demand in that question, whereas taking a step back and saying, I wonder what I could do, right? There's a question of curiosity. I wonder what I could do to offer my child more co-regulation, more connection, and more felt safety. The goal of this way of parenting, regardless of how vulnerable your child's nervous system is, how baffling their behaviors are, if they have a history of trauma or not, right? The goal of this way of parenting isn't for our kids to never be dysregulated or never have baffling behaviors. In fact, our kids must bring us the dysregulation in the nervous system so that their dysregulation can be touched by our regulation. That is quite literally how change happens. Scientists call it the disconfirming experience, and it changes memory networks. It is the agent of change. Always receiving what's unexpected. Dysregulation expects dysregulation. So when our kids can bring us their dysregulation and we connect with them with regulation, not necessarily with calm, but with regulation, that's how the nervous system changes. That doesn't necessarily mean that in that moment their behavior is going to change, but it does open up the possibility for the nervous system to kind of metaphorically unlock and shift and change. And now we're thinking about long-term real change in the nervous system, which is much more exciting to me than short-term behavior change. Here's another tricky thought that maybe you're going to feel like, what? Nobody ever told me this. But sometimes the truth is, is that the more co-regulation we offer our kids, the more they bring us their dysregulation. And over time, they are weaving into their own neurobiology, our regulation, our regulations will start to live inside of them. Then that's when their dysregulation might start to decrease. So here is my invitation to you. Remember, I am always no shame, no blame. Well, when I'm in my owl brain, I am no shame, no blame. And I mostly bring my owl brain to work. Right? I bring my owl brain to the microphone. I don't always bring it all the places in my personal life because I'm just as human as you. But, but my work is grounded in no shame, no blame, right? That doesn't mean we don't have compassionate boundaries. It just means we don't shame and blame to get to boundaries, okay? So when I invite you to get curious when you ask that question, what am I doing wrong? I'm not asking you to get judgmental at yourself for asking that question. Just notice it. Just notice 
that you've asked it. Like when you hear that, those words inside your head or come out your mouth, what am I doing wrong? See if you can go, oh, that's information. That's telling me my nervous system is in protection mode. That's hard. It's hard to be in protection mode. Take a breath. See if your owl brain can come back. Invite your owl brain back by asking the question, what could I do differently that would be offering co-regulation, connection, and felt safety to this child? The owl brain is okay with the answer that maybe in that moment, the answer is nothing. Because what we offer, we are not in control of being received. Okay, I can't control if my child, my partner, my friends, whoever are able to receive my offerings of safety. I'm only in control of my offerings of them. Okay, so when I pause to ask the question, what could I be doing differently? That would be offering connection, co-regulation, and felt safety. It's very possible the answer is nothing. Now, if I was in protection mode, and asking the question, what am I doing wrong? Then chances are there probably is something I could be doing differently. And it could be just as simple as taking that breath and allowing your nervous system to shift back into connection mode, right? And yeah, it could be way more complicated than that too. Like there could be so many more ways we could explore that question of what could I be doing differently? But that's the curiosity that we want to bring. That's the curiosity that OWL brings because it's not about what we're doing right or wrong. It's not about living in that binary. It's not about believing that we have the power to be in control of somebody else's behavior. That's a question from the watchdog brain. That's a question that says, hey, I'm hanging out in protection mode right now and I'm not judging myself for that but it's hard to live there. So can I do anything to invite my owl brain back so that I can continue to offer without any expectations of how it's received? Can I continue to offer connection, co-regulation, and felt safety to my kid, to my partner, to myself, to whoever? And y'all, I know that those of you listening to this show have kids with really extreme behaviors, really out of control behaviors, right? So in no way, shape or form, especially if this is your first time tuning in, please hear me that I am not suggesting that all we're going to do is like shift our own nervous system and shift our own thoughts and beliefs. It's a crucial piece of it. It's not the totality of it. So there are so many practical tools and things that we can do not to change our kids' behavior, but to offer connection, co-regulation, and felt safety, to strengthen their owl brain, to help bring regulation and safety to their watchdog and their possum brains. So if you are hoping for those tools, know that they absolutely exist. Keep listening to the podcast. Scroll back in the podcast. You, I think it's kind of easy to tell based on the title. Like if it's an episode that's like really about concrete tools or if it's an episode more like this where we're kind of talking a little bit more philosophically, right? So there's plenty of episodes about tools. 
you are going to get oodles of tools in the club. If you want to come join us in the club, robingobel.com slash the club. The club isn't always open. Um, we're in a pattern right now of opening probably about every two-ish months or so. So you can come join us there. And without question, Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, Brain Body Sensory Strategies That Really Work. That's my book that's coming out in September. Also full of tools. I also am training more folks so that they have the skills to work with families of the most vulnerable kids. So I have a whole year-long program where I train professionals. And you can see a list of those professionals over on my website. You can see a list of professionals who have earned the licensing rights to use my materials in their work. And you can also see a list of professionals who are teaching the parent course that I've created. Um, so all of that is over on robingobel.com. We are working tirelessly. My team and I and the professionals who are bravely and vulnerable, vulnerably train with me, we are working tirelessly to make this world a safer place for you and your family, to be the ones with the privilege of safety to who are doing the hard, hard, hard work so that we can offer safety to your family. Okay. So just head to robingobel.com, explore all these resources, and then just keep coming back. Keep pressing play on the podcast. All right, y'all. You're definitely going to want to press play on the podcast next week because something really exciting is happening next week on the podcast. Staying in line with our mission to support as many kids and families around the world as possible. We have a big, fun, important change on the podcast that we're going to be celebrating next week. So if you haven't already hit subscribe to the podcast, be sure to do that. And if you have a moment, I'd be so grateful if you would go and either rate or review the podcast in whatever way your podcast app invites you to do that. Ratings and reviews are by far the most impactful way to help other families find this podcast. And y'all know that there are so many families and so many professionals that we want to find this podcast. The more people who find this podcast, the more grownups in the world are seeing kids in this way, and that's good for you and your kids. Okay, so rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. And I'm going to see you here next week with a really big, fun announcement. Bye-bye. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids but also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos plus transcripts and certificates of completion. 
Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.